streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. This is our official prediction special episode. We have talked at length about every single one of Michigan football's position groups ahead of the 2022 season. And now it is game week. We will have a more specific Colorado State game preview episode uh, later on this week, but but this one is our is our season predictions. Got I don't know fifteen things to predict. It's it's we're looking at the offense, we're looking at the defense, and then we're kind of looking at the team results, including our final predictions for Michigan's record this season. Steve, we can just jump right in offensively. Uh, certainly, been a lot of different storylines about this one with Jim Harbaugh's announcement about the two-quarterback system. Who is Michigan's leading passer this season? So so you kind of have to tip your hand on who you think presumably will eventually win the starting job. I know my prediction in the quarterback episode was that both would exceed 1,000 yards. But, Steve, who do you think is going to end the season as Michigan's leading passer? Uh, I'm going to go J.J. McCarthy. I think the the fact that he's made it this – I mean, we knew it was going to be a battle, but – if it's 50-50, I just I'm gonna lean with the high ceiling, the higher ceiling player. I know there's a huge, you know, in football, huge emphasis on not turning the ball over. There's debate about the turnovers McCarthy made last year. Like, were they really that bad? Um, I remember the Michigan, the handoff against Michigan State, you know, that was a big thing. It was like, well, Harbaugh said after the game that was on Blake Corum, not McCarthy. Uh, you know, so so maybe not as as risky and turnover prone as some people or or people have made it out to be, but I'm going to go with McCarthy. I think he, you know, it's going to be fascinating because neither Colorado state or Hawaii are any good. So like both guys may just like tear it up. Are we going to learn a ton? That's that's, right. It's it's, I actually like the way Harbaugh is going about it. I just agreed. I just don't know. Uh, Like you, I think we were just saying before we got on Vandy put up 63 points on Hawaii in, in week uh, it's, uh, it's week one. I hate week zero. Such a stupid phrase. Uh, week one, you know, was the most points that Vandy's put up against a power five team in like forever. So got to think Michigan's going to dominate that game and they'll win both these games. Uh, just, you know, they could both quarterbacks could have huge games and yeah, we may might be still at square one, uh, at least from our, at least from a bird's eye perspective after the first two weeks, but either way, I'm, I'm going to go with JJ. I think, uh, I think it's sort of feeling like it's trending that way a little bit. Yeah. I, well, most of the summer, I think I said JJ McCarthy, I think I'm going to say Cade. I do. I think, I think for me, you know, cause, cause you're absolutely right. It seems like the, the direction, if, if they really are going to give both these quarterbacks a shot, that seems to be advantage McCarthy because this was someone who missed spring ball. Didn't really start throwing, fully until I want to say June or maybe even early July. Uh, and, and he is not, he did not enter fall camp as a starter. So if he has allegedly evened it up and that's with Cade having all of last season, all of this spring and maybe, you know, a head start the first week or so of fall camp, you know, that would suggest that JJ is, is, you know, in, ascending at a faster rate and will eventually pass Cade. So I very much could see that scenario playing out, but, 
I, I think I'm in a boat where I, I'm going to say Cade until, until his job is legitimately taken away. Because, you know, we've heard a lot about how he's improved. Maybe that's typical coach speak or, or the cliche or the fall camp stuff. But, but I think you and I have talked about this before. There, there is room for him to improve. You know, some of the deep balls that he threw last season were fantastic. Some of the, you know, the, the plays that he made or the decisions that he made were fantastic. It really almost seemed like he had like something, some almost like the yips on the medium passes during the middle of the season, that that's when people kind of started, started groaning or started looking up JJ's high school film. Um, so I think there was room for improvement. And, and I think he did it. That that's the vibe I'm getting. And so, you know, I, I still hold to my prediction. That I think both are going to exceed a thousand yards. I, I think whether fans like it or not, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, I think they're going to use both quarterbacks all the time this season. I don't think they'll alternate starts like this, but I think that there is going to be an emphasis on, on Jim Harbaugh's end. Cause, cause I think he, I think he sincerely likes, I think these are his two favorite quarterbacks that he's had at Michigan straight up. And, and I think he really believes both of them are capable of leading Michigan to a big 10 title. One already did. You know, and the other one, you, we're talking about him like he's like this vastly superior player in terms of talent. So I, I think until I see Cade officially lose his starting job, I think I'm going to go with him as the leading passer. Um, certainly a lot to discuss there, but, but you know, I think I'm, I'm with you. I like the two-quarterback system. I think it's important that both quarterbacks get a shot with the first-string offense when the game isn't a blowout. And I think it's, a, I think it's important – I think it was important for Jim to communicate that to fans and to the team early on, because now there's, there's debate, but there isn't questions. There's an ambiguity and no one's, there's no rumors starting. So I think uh, I, I like the approach. I think until I see someone take the job away from Cade McNamara, I think I'm going to go with him as leading passer. All right. This one might be a little bit easier Le- leading rusher for the Wolverines this season, Blake Corum. Comes in with it. Is there a chance Donovan Edwards beats him out for this, Steve? I'm going to go with Corum. I think we've talked, we've hyped Edwards up a lot, but it's from like a multi-faceted approach for him offensively as as a rusher and a receiver. Uh, Corum can catch the ball, can make plays out of the backfield with his hands, but uh, he's more of your, if there is going to be a bell cow, which I don't really think there will be, but if there was a guy that they'd lean on, I I would lean towards it being Corum running the ball. So I think Blake Corum is a safe choice here. Yeah, not a ton else to add there. I, I think it'll be Blake Corum. I think uh, I think quietly, you know, Donovan, I think he still has to – he hasn't didn't have a ton of carries, didn't have a ton of yards against Big Ten opponents last season. Um, so I can't – and that's not through any fault of his own, right? Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. I mean, no no, court, no running back behind those two would get a lot of carries. But, but I think it's something I'm still – I, I think you could say he is unproven in that regard, very much proven as a playmaker, as you know, the so-called lightning back and, and as a pass catcher and a thrower. But, um, you know, as, as a rusher, I still, you know, I, I don't know his bell cow tendencies just yet, whereas I do know for Blake Corum. So uh, I'm going to go with Corum as the leading rusher. Steve, you don't have to explain more, but do you think Corum ends up with more scrimmage yards than Edwards too? It seemed like you were hinting that, Edwards might have more receiving yards. That's a tough one. Uh, I think Corum ends up with more yards still total. I, I do. I think because I, I think he's going to have a few big games on the ground. Uh, 
again though like here's the other here's kind of like what we're talking about like most yardage yardage at these positions and stuff is uh this these first four weeks there might be some guys putting up some huge numbers that maybe we're not really banking on necessarily because the game could be wrapped up by the halftime you know so either way though but but regardless i'm i'll say quorum i think ends up with the most all-purpose yards but i do think it's close uh, Edwards is just too dangerous in the passing game. I still think, or I'm, I'm hoping I'd like to see Michigan have both of them in the backfield at the same time. I think there's almost infinite things you can do with that. Uh, but I'll say Quorum. By the way, I have Edwards down for 57 rushing yards against big 10 opponents in Georgia last season. So I, I, that's not a slight on Donovan. It's just, there's, I think Quorum is, is lining up for a potential All-American season. I mean, I, you see him on the different running back rankings, and he's top five in a lot of publications that I think know what they're talking about. And so he's got the speed. He's got the explosiveness. But I also think he can get you the tough yards, too. I, I don't think he's going to be bullied. He's 210 pounds. Uh, so I think, you know, I, and his yards per carry last season were exceptional for how many carries he had. So that says to me he – he has more in the tank, and, and I'm with you. I think a couple of these September games, I don't know if Michigan is going to try to push you know, a Heisman candidacy for him or not, but I, I could see him surpassing 200 yards in a couple of these September games. All right, this one, we've, we've actually had this debate before, uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see if our answers change. But who will be Michigan's leading receiver this season? Steve, who, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Roman Wilson. Uh, it's like Harbaugh list, listed – uh, the, who the top five receivers are. I don't think that was this, those names were a surprise to anybody. Uh, but I think when we talked about what we did, when we previewed the position, I think, uh, you know, with Wilson, you're kind of getting a little bit of everything. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. He's tall enough to not be a slot guy uh, exclusively. And he showed, he showed, I thought he had, I thought he showed great, ball skills last year when given the opportunity and also ran some really crisp routes. I think of the two touchdowns against Penn state specifically, uh, you know, just feels like their most well-rounded guy, you know, and I think with, you know, again, I mean, this could be, this could be, you could throw Eric all honestly, if, if, if he has, I, I mean, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't fully write him off if he has a couple of huge games. Uh, but it really could be any of the five, you know, like does Andrew Anthony really break out? You know, if that happens, then it could easily be him. Uh, AJ Henning was targeted more than anybody in the spring game. You know, it's like there's this, this Cornelius Johnson has been kind of the guy that Michigan hasn't he already he was the leading receiver, receiver last season. Right. Wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fascinating group, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting who's the fifth and Ronnie Bell. Oh, TSC, <laughs> who who would have led the team in receiving last year if he hadn't gotten hurt? And did so, so in 2019 and 2020. Yes, yeah, so you, you could you could make a legitimate case for all five. I'm I'm going to lean Roman Wilson. I'm going to just a, for second choice. I'm going to say Bell. Yeah, I think I'm in I'm in the same boat. I think I actually outlined. I think I said Wilson earlier this month for the same reason you outlined. I mean, he had last season. He had. Four catches behind the line of scrimmage, nine catches between zero and uh, nine yards, six catches of 10 to 19 yards, six catches of 20 plus. You know, that says to me 
you know, he can catch him by the sidelines. He can catch him over the middle of the field. You know, he, he kind of, he's physically like that perfect frame for like NFL receivers nowadays where they're not too short to play out wide, but they, they don't, <laughs> they're, they're still light enough and still compact enough that they can play in the slot. So I think, you know, his speed is undeniable. Look him up on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, he is there. He, it sounds like he's going to be their kick returner too. So I believe that's what Jim Harbaugh said on Saturday. So that, you know, that speaks to his playmaking ability. Um, and quietly, he was Michigan's best wide receiver down the stretch last season. You know, this is someone who, who has pretty good hands. You know, I think he had two drops against Georgia, but I think that's it for the whole season. I um, mean, that's, that's on, I don't know, hand, like 30 catches or whatever it was. So, no, I think, I think this is going to be a year where he really, really blossomed. His blocking keeps him on the field a lot, too. You know, I think that's the difference between him and some of the other, quote-unquote, like speedy guys who maybe don't play as much is they, they can't get Wilson off the field because he's, he's valuable in all ways. And that just gets you more catches. I mean, anyone who's played football, if you, if you have a great block as a wide receiver, they're going to try to throw you the ball a couple plays later. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's someone that has both quarterbacks trust. So I, I project him to be the leading receiver. But I'm with you. It's, it, it really, I mean, you could probably flip a coin or roll a die and, and pick someone. You th- throw Eric all in there. Yeah, I think I think the probably safe bets are probably Wilson, Bell, or Johnson. You know, again, I'm Eric All. Maybe he does lead the team in receiving yards, but that's just not too common for a tight end. Like he'd have to really be someone that they're they're focusing on every single drive. Basically, next one, I my answer is fairly quick. Offensive MVP, I think it's going to be Blake Corum. I think you know we we outlined his playmaking ability. I think he's someone that Michigan can do a lot of things with. I suspect, I mean, last season, if he hasn't sprained his ankle, he has a 1,200-yard rushing season as a backup. If they wanted him to run for 2,000 yards this season, he could. That's, I mean, that's it's my opinion, but, but I feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, Michigan's not going to operate that way. They are not going to run him into the ground just to pad his stats. I mean, they have enough skill players elsewhere, but I think when it comes down to it, who the – who the offensive MVP is, I think he's going to be the answer. Steve, there's a few different angles you could take with an offensive MVP. Is it is it an offensive lineman? Is it a top yardage getter? Is it the quarterback orchestrating it all? When it comes down to it, who do you think will be Michigan's offensive MVP this season? So I'm actually going to go with uh, with Olu Oluwatimi. I think the more I ask around or, or I'm told about both Michigan's offensive line and, and him specifically. I mean, I think Michigan, we already knew they were getting a really good player, uh, but just this just seems like a perfect fit in every possible capacity. Uh, you know, Andrew Vistardis finally healthy last year, played some really good football for Michigan, but it's hard not to see this as a, an upgrade, if not a semi-significant upgrade. Uh, I think he's going to You know be... it's significant because Zach Zinter basically said today, he said, no disrespect to Andrew, but... Oh, did he? We physically got an upgrade today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah okay. he said I that earlier even, today. Didn't even know that, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with him. You know, obviously these... Everybody on Michigan's line, even Tronte Jones to an extent, you know, has, has, has tasted some high level of success, but I just think he he still almost kind of comes in 
as sort of the, not the leader. I don't know. You'll kind of get what I'm saying. Almost like a, a wise sage, uh, you know, who's played at a high level and almost won some major awards, you know, just, just feels like a perfect fit all around. I'm, I, the other thing I remember, I remember Sam mentioning Oluwatimi as, as a guy that he thought was going to get consideration for a captain. That says a lot, which is insane uh, for a, yeah. for a transfer and a team that brings back a lot of guys from the big 10 championship winning squad. So I'm going to say Olu, I think he kind of sets the tone for Michigan across the board this year and, and uh, has a huge season for them in the middle. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great choice. You know, I, I was pretty sold on it in the spring anyways, but what really sold me is when Ryan Hayes said that Olu knew the entire playbook before spring ball started, you know, cause I think, I think that's like the tricky part about transfers is, is if you actually look at the transfer results versus the excitement about transfers, this isn't a Michigan thing. This isn't every school thing outside of quarterback and, and you know, the skill positions transfers rarely, rarely live up to the hype. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for them to do so. And that's true in the big 10. That's true in other conferences. And to me, I think the big thing is I think the, the buy-in, I think sometimes transfers are people who are transferring are thinking, okay, well, this is my ticket to the NFL, or this is my ticket to, to, you know, more exposure, more playing time. There's a little bit of uh, maybe entitlement's not the right word, but something along those lines where I think they, there are, expectations that things that the pasture will be greener but you know I think Olu was someone who immediately came in and and, and came in with a little bit more of a determination to make this a greener pasture for him you know not just rest on his laurels he was a Remington finalist he was a second team All-American last season but it it sounded like to me you know hearing from different players and coaches that he came in and really was able to mentally hit the reset button to where he had to earn his starting job. You know, he wasn't coming in assuming he was a starter, assuming he was going to be a Remington award finalist again. And so to me, that says a lot about his maturity. It says a lot of his work ethic. Um, and I've, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the reports have been unflinchingly strong that this, that he's going to be one of their top three or four players this season. It's a very good choice for MVP. I'm going with Blake Corum. Okay. Breakout surprise. Offense is kind of weird in this regard. Like the, I, I don't suspect that there's someone that we haven't already talked about at length. That's going to, you know, have a David Ajabo type season. So, so I'm going to tweak this just a little bit. Which player on offense do you think will surprise compared to their preseason expectations? Who's someone that, that on offense that you think could be a surprise this season? Are we relative to our own expectations or to what we perceive as maybe the, the fan base's expectations. Because uh, I, because I, yeah, I, guess Luke's, I, I know what Luke's, you mean. Maybe, maybe both. You can do Luke's Schoonmaker. I, I think you can count as a surprise. Right. So, yeah, because I, I think, you know, hearing Harbaugh, and I say this and mentioning Eric Ball as, you know, being a dark horse type for, for leading receiver, but, you know, Schoonmaker, I mean, Harbaugh basically mentioned them in the same breath for his during his depth chart thing, which I'm not surprised. Like I said, Schoonmaker started to play some really good football near the end of the year last year didn't make your was it the 20 he didn't make the 25 most important right he, he did not make the cut on that right he did not he technically made my ballot sure but him and the other guy that's interesting and roman wilson are two offensive players oh. who i was surprised wow. did not receive very many votes in the in the fan ballot interesting so i'm gonna go with schoonmaker i think he is 
again, Eric all getting more of the pub at the tight end spot, but, but Schoonmaker really came on, got some really good quality playing time and, and took advantage of it later in the season. And I think he kind of builds off of that into a, into a really strong senior season. Yep. I just looked it up. Luke Schoonmaker did not receive one single top 15 vote in the fan ballot. So he was outside the top 30 overall. And Wilson did not receive very many votes either. I have him at like 33rd. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, I, I guess in that vein, I have to, does Wilson count as a surprise? If, if he does, I'd, I'd pick him. I think him and Luke Schoonmaker are the most underrated offensive players on the team. I uh, felt that way for a little while. You know, Schoonmaker, he was really efficient down the stretch last season. He was not a part of their offense at all the first four games. And he ends up with three touchdowns. I want to say, what, 165 receiving yards. Played essentially, I mean, he was essentially a starter last season in terms of snaps, uh, which says a lot about how much they trust him you know, with the blocking schemes and the different, you know, different play sets they want to do when they're not throwing to tight ends. So, yeah, I think he's really valuable. I think he's quietly a pretty good NFL draft prospect. I think you know, he just, he hasn't shown a ton of pass catching ability yet, but I think he's someone that, that has really good pass catching ability was not a huge part of Michigan's offense last season, still led the tied with tied for the team lead and receiving touchdowns. So I think that would be my surprise if I'm picking another one. I guess Roman Wilson leading the team in receiving would be a surprise to public perception. I, I opened this question up to, to people on Twitter, you know, who will lead the team in receiving yards. And, and yeah, I think Wilson got like 8% of the vote or something like that. So Ronnie Bell led that vote pretty handsomely, but then it was Andrew Anthony and Cornelius Johnson that got a little bit more of the publicity. So uh, those are probably the two surprises. I know it, it is kind of weird on offense because I think everyone who will play is either known or a very hyped recruit. One guy I'm a little intrigued by, don't have to spend a ton of time talking about him, but because I heard he was the number three running back is, is CJ Stokes. I mean, for him to have already beaten out multiple guys who have been on campus longer, you know, I, I, I'm sure most fans have heard the, uh, the ankle tape story by now. I mean, that's, that's someone, you know, when, if you're already endearing yourself to Jim Harbaugh like that, feels like there's a good chance you have a bright future in the maize and blue. So that, that'd be another guy. Next, oh, final thing for the offense is top freshman. Well, I guess I just made a, a decent pitch for CJ Stokes. I'll keep it there. I mean, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of excitement about the receivers, but, but I think being the sixth or seventh or eighth receiver probably gets you a little less touches throughout the season than being the number three running back. So I'm going to go with CJ Stokes, Steve. I don't, I don't expect a freshman to emerge on the offensive line. There, there is a tight end who could, as well as the receivers and the running back. Who, who do you think comes away this season as the top freshman? It's gotta be Stokes. Well, it could be Stokes Clemens or, or Darius Clemens or Colston Loveland. Um, I've been big on Colston Loveland, but if Stokes is already making a dent in the depth chart, it's, it's really going to be hard to pick against him. Clemens and Loveland may be the more talented prospects, but they have a harder route to get to the field. So got to go with Stokes, which is, yeah, I mean, talk about a best case scenario for Michigan there. Uh, You know, sounds like him and Dunlap will be battling for that third spot all season. Cause I know didn't Harbaugh mentioned Dunlap also, right. As a, yeah. So the full quote was 
I would call the number three running back right now, CJ Stokes, for purely getting in there and running the football. And as he continues to learn the offense in terms of the third down and the protections, probably lean more toward Tavi Dunlap as the third guy, but they're very close. So that to me says Stokes is the better running back. They trust Dunlap a little bit more with pass protection and, and knowing what to do in a, in a high leverage situation. Well, and Stokes is a summer enrollee. Yes. So he'll have, you know, he'll get better at that stuff as he, you know, acclimates himself more to the college game. But the fact that he, you know, cause they've, they've said a lot of good things about Tavier Dunlap in the past. That's, you know, not as if, you know, I think we would have predicted him to, to win the, the fact that Stokes is already pushing him uh, says a lot about what Michigan thinks about his abilities. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Stokes with, yeah, with one of Clemens or Loveland, possibly probably more likely Loveland, then Clemens, I mean, that's, you know, five receivers that Harbaugh mentioned who are all, like we said, you can make a case for all five of those guys being the leading receivers. So, uh, yeah, we'll go with Stokes, Love, Loveland, and then Clemens in order. Yeah, I think Clemens could end up being the most talked about because I, I see him having, like, four or five just like kind of like Andrew Anthony last season. Like, there was so much excitement about him. Technically, he only had 12 catches all season, which was not a ton. But, the you know, I could see him having some of those plays that, that people are talking about and, and remembering and, and things like that, because he is, he is really college ready just physically. Uh, I think the, the big thing was, was hearing Ron Bellamy talk about how good of a blocker he was. I believe the, the Avant comparison was made. Yeah. I think, I think if he's already, you know, endearing himself to the receiver coach as a blocker and we know his testing times, we know how he looked in the spring game, what, what kind of a pass catcher he is. I could see him having, being the most talked about, but in terms of most productive, I'm going to go with Stokes. All right, final thing on the offense. This is a chance to call your shot. Any All-Americans on this roster? Olu Oluwatimi seems like he could trend toward that, although I know there's, there's a couple other really good centers in college football. Eric All is probably a, a potential candidate. I know offensive line, you think there's going to be a couple All-Big Ten guys. Maybe Blake Corum. Any anyone stand out to you as a let's let's say first or second team All American? I will say Oluwatimi. I mean, I picked him as the MVP. Yeah, that would right? probably I mean that he had to, a pretty good season. Yeah, right? you know. Um, and I'll say Eric All. I, I I I just I think Edwards will cut just a smidge too much into Corum's statistics for him to to get the All American nod. Uh, but I think Eric All is an All American level tight end it's really again same thing though with schoonmaker i mean he's he's emerged as a clear-cut number two who would probably be a number one on a lot of other rosters yes you know i agree right could he sort of do the same thing and maybe cut into all's production just a little bit you know enough for you know because we know that part of this is statistic statistically driven so uh but i think eric all is one of the how many did they put one or two tight ends on each all-american team I think uh, it's just one. Yeah, but. well, he's got. Yeah, I think he's a top three tight end in the country, right? So, uh, in my opinion, but well, so I'll. It, I guess what there's Brock Bowers, Laporta, yeah, but but Bowers might have an Eric Gilbert situation where his stats get true, but oh man, I think they're going to keep feeding him. I just think he's that. Yeah, good, no, but, you're probably right. Right, Sam uh, Laporta is probably the other one in the Big Ten that that could put up some big numbers. Right, so. I'll say, yeah, but I'll go with Olu Oluwatimi, Eric All, and then Blake Corum in that order. Just, But I do think I'll pick All and Olu to get it. Corum will just miss out. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Olutimi, second teamer. I, I kind of just think the skill position guys are going to get – I would almost say it's more likely a, another offensive lineman gets second team All-American than a skill position player because Harbaugh does like to spread the ball around. He, he views that as a really good strength. They've shown that they don't – they won't stick to that if they if someone really steps up. But uh, I think it's just going to be – it's going to be hard for – a running back to get above 1500 yards. Cause that's probably what you need to be an all American. It's probably going to be hard for a pass catcher to get above a thousand yards because, well, it hasn't really come close to happening yet under Jim Harbaugh. So, all right, switching to the defensive side of things, leader in tackles for me, it's, it's junior Colson middle linebacker set had the most true freshman tackles by a Michigan player in a decade. Uh, feels like he's going to take that Josh Ross role. So to me, this one feels pretty easy. Don't need a ton more explanation, but but who do you think ends up leading the team in tackles? Got to be Junior Colson. I agree. Everything you said. Yeah, the only question would be is if a safety ends up with more or well, that's really the only other. <laughs> I guess another linebacker, but it, it sounds like Colson's the leader of that pack. All right, that one is quick. Uh, leader in pass breakups and interceptions. So I'm combining them just because sometimes interceptions can be a little fluky. So it feels like a DJ Turner, Jamon Green situation. I'm going to go with DJ Turner. Jamon Green quietly only had one pass breakup last season. So I think I, I believe you and I are both believers that he's going to bounce back this season. But I, I think Turner is was on a different level last season, and I, I think he gets back to that level this fall. One potential thing here is that it could be a situation where opponents target Jamon Green more, so he gets more pass breakups. But I, I, I feel like it's going to end up being Turner. I think he is the more proven cornerback to this point. Uh, but Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to go with DJ Turner as well. Uh, yeah, I know Green. Actually, the one knock on is is his his track his ball tracking ability. Yeah, has been a little bit lacking in certain instances. So even though we're you know we've heard nothing but really good things about him all off season and he's established himself as the number two guy. Uh, I'm just going to go with Turner. I think Turner is quietly another all conference type player yeah. this year. Right. I mean, that, that's, you talk about somebody who maybe isn't getting talked about enough. You know, I've been focused on, on trying to buy in on Jamon green, having a bounce back year, but just, I've kind of just hit, Turner's one of those guys to me, I, at a, a back pocket guy where it's like, I, I just assume he's going to play at a high level. Uh, and so I will say uh, DJ Turner. Yep. I will go with Turner as well. All right. Leader in sacks. This, this one's interesting because you go with the, an inside guy that they're obviously very, you know, one of the inside guys that they're obviously very excited about. Do you go with the starting edge rushers, you know, either Mike Morris or Taylor Upshaw? Do you go with maybe one of the wild cards and Derek Moore, Yabi Anoma? Do you go with a linebacker? Maybe it's just one of those years where a bunch of guys get four or five sacks and or Jalen Harrell maybe gets gets more pass rushing opportunities. Who do you think will lead Michigan in sacks this season? I'm going to lean the veteran route. I think I think it's going to be Taylor Upshaw. You know, I mentioned him as a sort of an unsung guy on the roster the last couple of years. And I, I keep going back to the one point we talked about with the edge guys, Morris and Upshaw specifically, is they've been playing up behind. Uh, high, high quality players their entire career. So 
you know, I think there's a possibility that one of those two guys really surprises people just because they're finally, they're going to be getting all, you know, the, the vast majority of the defensive snaps. It won't be just situational for each of those guys anymore. So, uh, so I'm going to go with Taylor Upshaw. I think he has a little bit more twitch to him. You know, Morris at 292, it's going to be really interesting to see how Michigan you know, if they, how, if they do use him in some other ways, I mean, I just, he's excellent in batting passes down the line. He seems to be really good at yeah, reading the quarterback's eyes, stuff like that. Uh, but as far as like actually getting the passer and, and uh, getting the sack, I'm going to go Taylor Upshaw. That's my answer as well. I said that in the edge prediction episode or the, the preview episode, I said it in the prediction section. It was actually one of my 15 bold predictions for the season. Uh, that's a story. I had a lot, a lot of fun putting that together. It's over at the michiganinsider.com. Michigan at 247sports.com. I think he gets underrated because he's not he's not David Ajabo. He's not that freaky level of an athlete. He's not Aiden Hutchinson. He's not David Ajabo. But I think he is an underrated player because I think he's still very athletic. And I think he's he's very crafty. I think he really knows how to use his hands. I think he knows how to to use his um body positioning to get in good good position. I mean he he wasn't a bad pass rusher last season. His pass rushing rate was, was uh, I think, in the, what, 83rd percentile among Power 5 edge rushers, some, something along those lines, according to Pro Football Focus. And so I think he's someone that he's going to get an opportunity to. I think they view him as, as kind of their pass rushing specialist this season. And I think Mike Morris might end up having the, the better overall season than Upshaw, but I think it – Upshaw's a lot lighter. He's like 30 pounds lighter than Morris is. So kind of like Chase Winovich when he was like 15 pounds lighter than Rashawn Gary, he just gets to the quarterback quicker. I mean, he, you know, Morris could cause more trouble. He might be the more effective player. He might be the player opposing offensive lines are more worried about. But in terms of actually getting the sacks, uh, I think it's going to be Upshaw. Boy, but when, when I hear about Anoma being ready to play week one, when I hear you know, the reports you've had about Derek Moore, it does make me wonder if this if this could be one of those truly wild card, one of the tougher ones to predict on the entire team, just because there there are enough compelling options, kind of like wide receiver, where where you could really look at it at a different angle or on a different day and, and have a different answer. But we are both in agreement on Upshaw for now. All right, defensive MVP, DJ Turner's, a pretty compelling candidate. Junior Colson probably is as well. But Steve, I'm I'm gonna guess that you this is probably Mozzie Smith's award to lose in your mind. Yeah, you got me. I'm gonna go with Mozzie Smith. So we talked about uh you know, it was really like what's the big question for Michigan now? Uh, you know, expectations are fully there. The big question is how are they get you know, will these guys get to the passer? And I just like I said, you know, last year it was more outside guys making life easier for the guys inside. I think it'll be the opposite this year because of Mozzie Smith. I think a lot of Michigan success will be dictated by, yeah, by Mozzie Smith continuing his sort of breakout. Another guy that really came on late last year, you know, so I'll say, I'm going to say Mozzie Smith one, junior Colson two and DJ Turner three. Yeah. I think, I think that's a fair order. I mean, Mozzie, if, if those Mozzie Smith testing numbers are, even like mostly true. I don't know how teams are going to consistently stop this guy. And he did produce against some of the better offensive lines he faced last season, thinking about Ohio state, 
thinking about Iowa. I mean, I know Wisconsin's offensive line had a terrible game against Michigan, but, but, you know, in terms of size and strength and everything, that was one of Mozzie Smith's best games. So I think that this is, this is a guy who's, there's not an offensive line in the country that's licking their lips, ready to take on Mozzie Smith right now. And I think what, what really sells it to me is, is you hear more and more about the leadership and how he's, he's the vocal leader on the defensive line. And not just because he's the old guy, but because he, you know, he has this level of conviction about him that he, he has really high expectations for this defensive line and, and not going to compare him to Aiden Hutchinson. But I think that level of both physical transformation, but also really taking every single ounce of this team's success personally, I think that that reminds me, Mozzie Smith doing that reminds me a little bit of Aiden Hutchinson. So probably got to stick with him. I really like DJ Turner. I, I'm, I'm tempted uh, to go with, with RJ Moten. I'm expecting a big season from him, but it's, it's got to be Mozzie Smith until, until someone else does it game in, game out. That is going to be my choice. Okay, breakout surprise. There's a, there's a whole bunch of different players. So this one, it does, you know, offense, I think every listener knew every player's name that we listed. But Steve, is there, is there someone who is either being slept on or isn't starting who you think could have maybe not a David Ajabo level transition where he becomes a first-round type of draft pick or first-team All-Big Ten, but could really break out and be a surprise this season? Uh, would R.J. Moten count? I was, I was wondering about that because that was one of my other bold predictions. I think he ends up being very, very good and replicating Brad Hawkins' season last fall. But yeah, I mean, he did start last season. Yeah, that's, so. I know. Uh, I just, the, the, there was not a knock. Knock is not the right word. The, the situation with him was that Michigan's always known uh, super athletic for his size. It was more about getting one of those guys that really needed to let the, let the game slow down a little bit for him. And uh, what I'm getting at is I think that there's a, there's definitely more, a more of a ceiling there than, than maybe people realize. Uh, so I think Moten ends up being a, a pretty major contributor for Michigan. I mean, he's, yeah, he is going to start, but I think he, I think he exceeds whatever expectations uh, are kind of out there for him. And I think, but with the chance to maybe exceed them in a, in a pretty big way. I'll be honest. I don't think, I definitely don't think first round draft pick, but I think if with a good seat, like he's the type of guy who I'd be very surprised if he didn't test super, super well. So if he has a really good season, you know, he might be a guy that, that may have the opportunity to go. Honestly, Uh, it's just, again, don't want to put the, was it put the cart before the, what is which one? Put the cart before the horse. Yeah. That would it. Yeah. You don't put the horse. But you know, I, I just, he has that athletic ability and physical capability, you know? So he, he's one of those guys that, yeah, I think, yeah, that has maybe the most, most to gain this season from an NFL draft perspective. Uh, so, so I think he kind of, I think he makes a move in that direction. Uh, I think he has a bigger season than, than people are really kind of, you know, wondering the big thing is Michigan lost both safeties, not, cons- not, not convinced that the, drop-off is going to be as big as, as they think. As hard as Daxon Hill will be to replace, and as much as I think people aren't going to realize how much they missed Daxon Hill, you know, I think that Moten was, is going to pick up a decent amount of this slack there. 
Yep, that was that was one of my my bold predictions, and and I, I actually don't know if people know this, but like Pro Football Focus, they keep listing Moten. They did it today, even top one hundred draft pick, number seventy two overall on their big board for twenty twenty three. I mean, he played he played about five hundred snaps last season, so it's not like he's this total nobody. But I, I think very if you if I had told you if I had asked you who is pro, who is the number two or number three draft prospect on Michigan's roster, according to pro football focus. I, I think, I don't think a lot of people would have guessed Moten, uh, but he is a really rangy athlete. And I think he's, um, you, you see him going around the field and you're like, man, is he really 221 pounds? Because he moves very fluidly. Uh, the, the phrase I think that's always been used about him is center fielder athleticism. He could have, could have played baseball at any school in the country. He wanted to, he was, he was that good. Probably if he, if he'd gone all in on baseball, he probably could have been drafted out of, at a level where he could have signed uh, out of high school. So I'm pretty high on him. In terms of surprise, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of someone who wasn't a starter last season. I am going to go with Michael Barrett. I think he, the, the thing that I think will really help him is the more I looked at the Michigan's linebacker room, the more I realized, in addition to depth, they have an issue in pass coverage. You know, Junior Colson to Kyle Green really got picked on in coverage last season. I, I think they'll both be better this fall, but I think that's where Michael Barrett f- quietly fills a decent role, especially against you know pass happy teams. Like I'm thinking, like a Maryland, uh, you know, teams, Penn State, teams that might not be able to run the ball as effectively as they want to, but they do have a legitimate you know NFL speed at the slot. You know, as maybe a, a, they can go four wide with receivers. I think Barrett quietly gives them some versatility because if you put him on a slack guy, it's not going to be, it's not going to favor Michael Barrett, but it's not going to be this total matchup nightmare where teams are like throw, throw on him, throw on him right now. And so I think, I think he'll quietly fill in a role. I think the, the change in uh, defensive coordinator, just with a couple tweaks here and there, I think maybe gave him a little bit more of an opportunity is going to afford him more of an opportunity at the will position. So I think he quietly plays a bigger role than people think. I don't know if it, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if he'll have it, you know, be drafted next season, but if I'm picking a guy who didn't start or effectively start last season, who could, who could really surprise the public perception, I think it'd be him. Mike Sainer still probably could count, but I just feel like there's been so much talk about him. I, you know, he, he went from underrated to rated. As we, as we like to say on this podcast. So, um, all right, next one, top freshman. Seems like there's a, a three-horse race brewing here. Mason Graham at, at defensive tackle, Derek Moore at edge, and Will Johnson at cornerback. At the end of the season, who, who would win defensive freshman of the year? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, I'll say Mason Graham. I, I just, part of me really wants to say Derek Moore as, as a guy – who, and again, Michigan's the beginning of their schedule is very easy, but not, I mean, just a guy that comes on late, maybe. I just think it's the potential there is super, super high. Uh, We've heard nothing but good things about him in fall camp, but for Mason Graham to come in and win a starting job, I don't care what set they're in, you know, like there's the the, uh, splitting hairs over what set Harbaugh mentioned him as the starter for. I don't think it matters. The fact that he's even in the conversation is a pretty crazy for him. And B, I think it's a great thing for Michigan too, because 
it's been him and Rayshon Benny and, and Benny's another one we've heard a lot of great things about if Graham's beating him. Uh, I think both those guys could be very productive this year. So going to kind of take the easy one. I'll go, I'll go with Graham. I just think he, I think I wrote this after Harbaugh did the depth chart thing. His, um, his sort of ascension is sort of similar to Aiden Hutchinson from a recruiting profile standpoint where a little bit different. He wasn't like Hutchinson was ranked high, but then he kind of like plateaued a little bit and then just came on senior year uh, was great at their respective all American game and just was being pursued. But, you know, uh, USC really made a strong run at Mason Graham late, you know, for a SoCal kid, always a good indicator and then came right into uh, spring camp and, and, we immediately started hearing really good things about it. He's just kind of one of those guys who just, it feels like he's been gradually ascending since we basically got to know who he was uh, as a Boise state commitment before Michigan flipped him. So, you know, it just kind of seems like he's still on an upward climb. I think he kind of continues that through the season. Yep. I fully agree. Just to put a number to that ascent is he, he was not a 1000. He did not join the 1000 club, but he rose from eight, 46 in April 2021 to 247 in the composite by the end of the class. And, and really, it was just his senior year. You know, it wasn't like he blew up necessarily in camps that summer. He went from 720 in, on, September, on September 23rd last fall to inside the top 250 by the end of his senior year. LA Times Player of the Year. That to me, I mean, that's that's pretty loaded. Like, you know, there's a, so many good players in L.A. USC probably is used to recruiting all of them. So maybe Michigan fans don't hear about them year in and year out. But to me, I think the if he if he's playing the best football of anyone in that entire area, kind of like Ronnie Bell when he was, I, you know, it doesn't matter what his offer list was or what his ranking was. If, if Kansas City people felt like he was the best player in that entire region, that entire metro area, He's probably a pretty darn good football player. And, and you know, his game, really like his bend. I know, I know people say he's got, like, those wrestler moves, uh, and he does. Like, he's really good with his hands. And, and to see that he's already up to 317 pounds, if, he's, I mean, if, he, if he can still move like he looked like he could move in the spring game or like he looked like he could move last fall, that's, that's a really good sign. Wouldn't be surprised to see him end up on a freaks list, you know, like Mozzie Smith and, in a couple of years. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think whether he's starter, first off the bench, rotates in, whatever, whatever semantics you want to use, I think he's he's proving to be a, a genuine hit for Michigan. And and that's, I mean, look out because if he's already like getting this kind of praise as a defensive tackle as a true freshman, you know, it seems like seems like a bright future might be in store for him. All right, Steve, all Americans, I think DJ Turner has a very very good chance. I think Mozzie Smith has has a good chance, but I, I think the problem is I think he's going to have to probably get like eight sacks, or he's probably going to have to have some like trendy number, kind of like Mo Hurst, you know, his in twenty seventeen. So I'm going to go with DJ Turner as as Michigan's as like a second team All American type. Don't have anyone else that I'm forecasting to be an All American. Anyone you want to call your shot on in that regard? Uh, I think it's almost got to be Turner, I suppose. I mean, maybe could make, you know, Junior Colson was a freshman All-American last year. I mean, if he takes the steps 
I think Michigan thinks he can. I mean, I suppose, but there's just there's so many good linebackers uh, in college football, SEC. Um, it is really hard because you'll see like random guys on on teams that are worse than Michigan will have like a, like a sacks or yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, five picks. Yeah, I'll go with Turner, but I'm actually going to say I just I don't know if Michigan, and I, I I don't think that says anything about how the unit produces as a whole. I just I don't know if there'd be any individuals that pull in the All-American candidacy. But, I, yeah, I got to go with you. I guess if there is a guy, it'd probably be Turner. All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side, talking a little bit about the team season and, and how they will fare in some of their biggest games. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And we're back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, with respect to Michigan's, to eight of Michigan's opponents, I, I think you and I, kind of feel like they're, they're I don't I don't suspect that there's going to be some upset loss this season it seems like there's four games on Michigan's schedule this fall that I would say are quote up for debate uh, and so I, I have them as Iowa Penn State Michigan State and Ohio State so if an upset happens it happens but boy I'm, I'm really not I'm not seeing it from the other teams and and Nebraska was probably the one that was like I'd be most interested to see what they look like and and they did not they did not convince me of their trap game potential this past weekend. So let's start with the Iowa game. Michigan's probably going to go in. If they're not a top five team, they'll be knocking on the top five at Kinnick Stadium. I got a hunch it'll be at night. What is your prediction for this game and, and what how do you see this one transpiring? I mean, it's 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 interesting because Iowa is a very tough team to beat in Iowa City. They have a very good defense. They return a lot of that defense. But at the same time, Michigan, Michigan made them look like a MAC team last December. So, so your thoughts on this Iowa game? First test for Michigan too. That 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 can't be ignored. You know, they they'll they'll find out who they are October first in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Michigan. I mean, just on paper, and um, this is all we can go on. I think Michigan does win that game. I do think it'll. I'll be shocked if it's not at night. Yeah, I agree with you there. Which will put a little more, little more to the game. Add a little more pressure, however you want to put it. Uh, but yeah, it's just hard not to. And again, it's not going to be forty-two to three, obviously. But yeah, I just think Michigan probably a little bit too much. It's like I just think Michigan's athleticism across the board defensively is just giving them a better chance against these types of teams because they're, they're yes. Michigan in the back seven will be very very athletic, and then they're also very big up front this year. On paper, and again, uh, Kinnick at night is it is it's kind of a house of horrors sort of thing. But on paper, you know, I just I still look and say, who's starting at quarterback for Iowa? Could they really? Would they really be able to run the ball effectively against Michigan? You know, I just just those types of things. It just feels like, and again, and then I look around at, at again, just look at how multifaceted Michigan looks like they are going to be offensively. I just, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing an Iowa uh, beat them this season. Yeah. I think 
if you had asked me in previous seasons, because for, for a long time, I mean, that was always my formula. It's like, they probably don't beat Ohio State. They probably lose one tough game on the road. And if they're having a down season, then maybe they drop another one at home or to, to one of you know the Penn State, Michigan States. But this Iowa team, you know, what stands out to me, because Michigan has had the on-paper advantage over a team like Iowa before. But that Big Ten championship game, what I saw from Michigan is what I think I have seen Ohio State do to Michigan in the past. Because how many times in the early part of Jim Harbaugh's tenure did Michigan have a a top-ranked defense or statistically really great defense? And then they played a team with a little more speed, a little more explosiveness, but still has that physicality up front. And and they kind of got exposed. That's what I felt like Iowa was last season when they played Michigan. It, it just felt like like a defense – they just could not keep up with enough of Michigan's players. I have no doubt that they're a very good defense, but I think that they were, I think Michigan's speed and explosiveness was on full display. And then on the other side of the ball, Iowa actually had Michigan's number on a couple plays, you know, Sam Laporta, especially early, there were a couple catches where he was wide open, but Michigan was able to close it out. You know, they, they, they were able to bend without breaking. That's what happens when you have a, a very athletic defense that can play 11 man football, you know, where there isn't a major glaring weakness or anything like that. So road game is very tough. There's certainly a lot of history with Michigan top ranked Michigan teams. Jim Harbaugh has been a part of two of them. One as a player, one as a, as a coach top ranked Michigan's teams losing at Iowa city. But yeah, I think, I think this offense is a little too explosive and I think the defense is a little too balanced for Iowa to pull off the upset. Like I don't, I don't feel like the 2016 Michigan team was necessarily built to torch Iowa speed wise. Like it felt like that, that team was probably prime for a road upset game. But I think, I think, I think this current Michigan team, I think that, you know, the speed is traveling. The explosiveness is traveling. And I think they know, I, I, I bet the players that they'll never, they won't say in press conferences, but I'm sure this game is circled as like, got to be ready by then you know that's your put up or shut up time in 2019 it was it was at wisconsin i think in september that was their first real test they got they ended up with an egg on their face so it's still interesting i don't think it's a done deal but i'm with you i think michigan wins all right penn state penn state is fascinating because i think they're getting some some people are giving them a lot of buzz and a lot of hype because there is they recruit well uh they have a talented team i think their defense is pretty pretty darn talented but it's almost like the the people who are the least optimistic about penn state are some of penn state's fans if <laughs> you talk to enough penn state fans you're like even they're thinking that it's like uh i don't know i think this is going to be a a weird year it's at home would not be surprised if it's night game maze out type of atmosphere seems like these two teams trade those those uh atmospheres back and forth but quietly penn state, i mean penn state had michigan on the ropes last season Right. So so your thoughts on this game and and this matchup? Yeah, I think Michigan wins. But yeah, Penn State just very pesky, I guess, against Michigan. The last couple of I mean, the, these the games are usually what well, they've been that they've traded some. It's either a blowout or a close game. There's been no basic win uh, between the two teams, even a couple of years ago. I mean, I know Penn State jumped out the big lead, but Ronnie Bell dropped a touchdown pass with a completed what a four touchdown comeback or a three touchdown comeback. 
So I think 2018 was the last time that it was, and that was a Michigan victory at home. I think that was the last time it wasn't like this dramatic, tense, yeah, back and forth game. Yeah, I think Michigan wins. Yeah, Penn State. Yeah, Penn State's always kind of a in sort of an enigma. Uh, we kind of harp on. I just I don't know if it's nationally or if there are just like a handful of national writers that just seem to just fall in love with Penn State every they year. are unranked entering the season so right, I, which, I think it is like a couple people who just are very sold on them right and uh which is fair because again yeah like you said there's definitely there's no shortage of talent on their roster uh but and, and again I, I actually think I read somewhere I was like there, there there's some confidence like that's one game and team that it just it feels like Michigan usually wins that battle up front and and that's actually what's made it a kind of interesting or impressed. Like last year, like in a lot of ways, like Penn State had no business even being in that game. I mean, Michigan just obliterated them up front on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Sean Clifford put together one of the more gutsy opponent performances I can remember by just being able to finish. Uh, he was getting hit constantly. Uh, he's back for his 13th season this year. You know, gives Penn State a lot of leadership. And, and sort of moxie at the quarterback position. So, you know, we'll have to see. I, I don't know. Uh, they lose Dotson. They lose uh, – they always got tight ends. I know former Michigan target Theo Johnson is a guy I think they're expecting to maybe step up this year. So, uh, for Penn State, I always think it comes down to what they look like up front offensively. You know, if they can slow Michigan down, you know, their defense is always stout, like you said. Uh, it's not a defense I would anticipate Michigan putting up a ton of points on. But still, it's at, I think it being at home, uh, I'll pick, I would pick Michigan in that game right now on paper. I mean, some people are picking Purdue as sort of the hot, trendy upset for this weekend's opener, right? I mean, it feels like there's a decent Purdue contingent as far as uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if Penn State does fall in that game, uh, where, what direction their season goes. But uh, I'd say I would say Michigan right now. I think this quietly has a chance to be Michigan's second toughest game all season. Penn State gets a bye before they play, before they make the trip to Ann Arbor. Um, they will be battle tested. You know, they they play, well, they play Purdue, but they also play at Auburn. So I think I think we'll know what they look like. The big question for me, and 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 it's almost impressive that they were as close to beating Michigan as they were last season because of this. Will they have a run game this season? I mean, they were 118th in the country in rushing yards per game last season, and. And it's not like they had this incredible pass protection either. It wasn't just Michigan that made the them look bad and, and you know was getting in Clifford's face all day. So I think I think if they have to be more two two dimension two dimensional <laughs> offensively, or teams are just gonna once again tee off. But but Michigan, they I don't know if they're gonna have as much of a pass rush this fall. So I think this is quietly kind of a bad matchup for Michigan. I, I've said before. I actually was in my prediction story. Michigan, I think they'll be a top five run defense this season. I think that there's a potential that they're not quite as good stopping the pass. So when I see a team that's that's has a good defense, it passes the ball as well as Penn State does. That gives me a little more pause than a team that maybe is is ranked right now. So I'm going to go with Michigan because it's at home, because I expect it to be a pretty good atmosphere, because I think – Michigan knows Penn State pretty well by now. You know, Javon Green, DJ Turner, they've both they have both shut down Penn State's passing offense before in terms of coverage. So 
leaning Michigan, but maybe less so than this next game. Michigan State, both teams get a bye week. But your thoughts on the Michigan-Michigan State game? I mean, there's just really just a, a trend in this game. If, if Michigan doesn't give it away, they'll win. I mean, they, they have it's the one game every year for some reason Michigan seems to shoot themselves in the foot, oftentimes self-inflicted even, really. Uh, you know, t- just getting caught, like tempo probably cost them that game last year. Like just, just the stakes, you're watching the game, like how are you, you know, not making, like how are you making those mistakes still? Yeah, I, I think Michigan at home, I think they, they finally get their you know, revenge or whatever you want to say. You know, they, they really, like, again, they realistically should, even in 20, they should have won the last two games between these two teams. Uh, Tucker kind of carried over some of that D'Antonio magic in, in some ways, I kind of feel like. But is Michigan State, like, so Jacob Slade's a, a hell of a player up front. And not trying to take throw shade here, but it's also kind of hard to keep track of how many transfers they'll have starting on their defense this year. I know they got a Chris Bogle from Florida and I think Amir Speed from Georgia. I just wasn't their pass defense like literally ranked last or something in, in for power five. Yeah. Right. Like are they gonna like they're gonna have to improve in a big way that like they're not gonna be able to get away with kind of what they got away with last year. You know, like for all the talk on Michigan side, uh, uh, any like about eight, losing Aiden Hutchinson, how important he was. Was there any player who seemed more important to their team's success than Kenneth Walker was last year? And I know I think they got a couple. Like he had to be worth. If you look at the margin of victory in some of their wins, he had to be worth four wins last season, right? And that's a testament to him, honestly. Uh, and I think they have what like two more transfers or two or three transfers at running back. Again, they got some good ones. I mean, they're yeah. not nobodies, right? No. Colorado's guy, I think, was a Pac-12. Broussard, that Broussard, kind of right? And then Jalen yeah. Berger. But again, I just can't see them replicating their rushing attack from last year with Walker. Uh, it's just hard to fathom that being the case. So uh, Peyton Thorne, underrated, I think, a little bit at, from the quarterback position. Uh, Reed is back. Talk about a guy who played his best game of the year against Michigan. I mean, how many shoestring, crazy, just big plays did he make in that game? You know, Walker scored all the touchdowns, but, man, how many third, fourth downs did Reed convert with some amazing grabs? I just – that's how this game seems to go every year. All those one-inch plays uh, tend to go Michigan State's way. I just think just Michigan's better. I think they're at home. I would anticipate they uh, come out on top. Yeah, I'm actually – it's weird because I think Michigan State will have a better season than Penn State, but I think the style of play Penn State plays with. Like Penn State, even if they lose to Purdue this week, I could still I still view them as a team that's going to give Michigan some serious trouble. Michigan State very well could. I don't know how many years where I've said, oh, on paper, Michigan looks like the better team, and I've, I've been wrong. But I just I, – I think Michigan – I think Michigan understands. <laughs> I think I think uh, I think they had a a realization last year that no matter what it looks like on paper, it's got to be one of your top goals. And Jim Harbaugh said that he said they have four goals this season, and you know the first one is Michigan State. Be curious to hear about from the players throughout the season if if that continues to be mentioned once games get started. But uh, they have enough time here, and they have that bye week. I feel like Michigan really could build the season around Michigan State hit the reset button 
and then build it toward Ohio State. I don't know if they will, but I, I, I get the vibe that it's being taken a little bit more seriously right now. And that's where, you know, having former players there and the coaching staff, guys who have who've been a part of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry, that's where that can be valuable uh, is, is, you know, you have guys who can, who can impart that understanding of how important it is. So I quietly think Michigan will actually have more trouble with Penn State than they will with, with Michigan State. Okay, last one before the Ohio State game. Is there any game on the schedule? I think the, the top candidates would probably be at Indiana – at Rutgers, and then, I don't know, maybe Nebraska, maybe Maryland. Any of those games give you more than, like, a, a four on the scare level for trap game potential? Any of them stand out to you? I, I'm kind of thinking Rutgers, because Rutgers quietly stopped Michigan's rushing attack last season in a, in a pretty impressive way. I'm surprised more teams didn't try to emulate what, what the Scarlet Knights did. And it will be in Piscataway. It will be right after the Michigan State game. So, I'm not calling it a trap game yet, but I think it's a potential trap game. Any opponents on the schedule other than the four that we're talking about stand out to you as concerning for Michigan? Not really. Not on paper anyway. I, I Yeah, it's, it, it has to be one of the other road games, right? I mean, I think it almost has to be. It's not Maryland. Doesn't feel like Nebraska after Saturday. Definitely not Illinois. It, I guess it could be Rutgers. I don't know. Who knows with Indiana? Again, on paper. Right. We'll see. I do like the direction Rutgers is going, but that's relatively speaking. So, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, I guess that's, that's, I'd probably lean the same way. Cause yeah, it's not going to be one of those other home games for sure. Yeah. And Indiana's coming off a three and nine season. They lost Penix to the transfer portal. It's just hard for me to visualize them bouncing back with like an eight win. It pro- Michigan's not going to lose to a six-win team. They, they never have under Jim Harbaugh, at least outside 2020. Uh, it's got to be a team that's like maybe upsets Penn State or Michigan State's kind of knocking on that door. And I, I don't know if there is one, but, but I think Rutgers, Rutgers' defense, I guess, gives me pause because I feel like that game, I wouldn't say I would be unconfident in Michigan winning, but I would kind of take the under on the scoring total. And I, I might take Michigan to lose against the spread in that game. All right. Finally, Ohio state on paper, very good team, elite offense. Seems like they checked all the, the boxes they were, they were supposed to check on defense. You know, they got some transfer portal help uh, in the secondary. They were able to keep a couple guys from going to the drafts up front, very talented team. Duh. And it is at Ohio state. Your thoughts on this matchup? We are now what three months away from the game taking place. Uh, so, so what are some of your early thoughts? Uh, on paper, I'm still, despite last year's game, I'm still sort of in a. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. As far as Michigan winning this game on the road, uh, they've come close. We know that, but you know, Ohio State, they're just not go. They're not going to go anywhere. Their defense just almost by default, I think, should be better than they were last year, Again, at least by the time November comes around, or at least for this game. That um, felt like the practical floor. Right. School with their resources and their talent level. I mean, you think about that game, realistically, could have been worse than it was for Ohio State. I mean, Michigan, could have that could have been – it just could have been a worse game. You know, so, you know, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I just – 
I, you know, I, I don't know, I, but I, I, until they do it, I, I just, I would lean towards Ohio state in that game. I just, it just, you know, they're still uber talented on the offensive side of the ball, probably the most talented on the offense, at least the skill positions of anybody in the country. Michigan did rattle CJ Stroud last year, but he's again, he's another still right. He's going to be right in the Heisman talk again, could be the leader heading into the game. Honestly. I mean, just still through for a whole bunch of yards, 20 yards. Yes. So I think their, their questions are simple. It just comes down to defensively. They have a couple of young pass rushers, Jack Sawyer, uh, JTT. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name, but uh, he was a five-star also. They're both second year guys. You know, Zach Harrison came back. You know, they, they do bring back some guys that should be able to get to the to the quarterback. But again, you know, it's hard to say that that won't that Michigan won't be the best offensive line that Ohio State faces this year, too. So at least just I don't know if last year really changed a ton from the big picture. But I mean, I guess it just it feels like this will be a game. Right. It Like I just it doesn't feel like it did before where if Michigan did compete and make it close outside of 16, that it that it would be maybe a mild surprise. You know, just now that the talent level, it just seems like Michigan's kind of coming into their own a little bit from both the just the program in general. I would just still pick Ohio State, though, until at least got it. This is a game I think I'd at least want to see six, seven games into the season to have a better feel, obviously. But uh, on paper, I'd still take Ohio State because it's in Columbus. And I think you know, for me right now, I, I have a better sense of what Ohio State will look like at its best than I do for Michigan. And so maybe in a month I have a changed opinion, but boy, it's really hard to not pencil Ohio state's offense in as maybe the best in the country, probably the best in the country. I'm trying to think who would be better on paper. Um, and, and it's not, you know, the game is played on the field, but you know, the, the stuff on paper, it's, it's not usually too far off base. So yeah, Michigan is going to have to play an extreme. They're going to have to have a few David Ajabo type, breakout seasons on defense I think if they if they want to shut Michigan or Ohio State's offense down now they can make it a game I'm with you I I, I see Ohio State's defense even with you know the new players the returning players the, the coordinator change this still feels like a defense that Ohio that Michigan can score on that Michigan can put together some scoring drives but I feel like this season's game is going to be more who who can seize every offensive opportunity and less about, you know, who's, who's ready to play. It's always going to be about who plays physical up front, but I, I could see this game trending more toward a shootout game than, than it typically does. Could, could use last year as an example when everyone thought it might be a little bit more of a shootout and ended up being decided in the trenches. And I, I do think Michigan, if it is a trench game, Michigan has a very good shot because I think this will be a team that is one of the best rushing teams in the country and one of the best teams at stopping the run in the country. But without Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo providing that pass rush, because that's really what, what made the difference for Michigan against Ohio State is, you know, Ohio State was, was throwing the ball well, and they never really stopped throwing the ball well, but it was clear that they were not comfortable and they could not do their typical deep routes where they, they really burn guys because they didn't have time. And Stroud struggled a little bit under pressure. So... I still think Michigan has a very good chance of keeping it close, but until I see a little bit more from Michigan's pass rush from, from their coverage up the middle at linebacker and safety, that's where Dax Hill was very valuable in that Ohio state game. DJ Turner was too. 
uh, but but it felt like they had really good coverage at the safety and linebacker position in that game. Don't know if they're going to have it this year. So until those questions get answered by Michigan, I'm taking Ohio State. Okay, so I think we both said 11-1 and records. The final question, is that Rose Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl, or do you think that will be enough for a playoff appearance? I mean, I've seen a couple people pick Michigan as sort of like a, a second Big Ten playoff team. I don't know. I mean, think about 06. You know what? What if if both these teams are undefeated going into Columbus and it's a competitive game, you know, and and Ohio State gets matched up with with a another sort of poop West champion in the Big Ten championship yeah. game, you know, Michigan would have as a good a case as as anybody. You know, I mean, the argument in 06 was well, Michigan just lost by a field goal to the number one team in the country on the road. They should get in over Florida, who lost to Missouri at home. You know, and obviously I know Florida went on to beat Ohio State, but either way, we're look when you're talking about resumes, I think Michigan had as good a case as any number two team or any top team would have had in that situation. You can, could you literally do any better than losing by three on the road to the number one team in the country? I don't know. Uh, but if if a similar scenario plays out, there's four spots, you know, could it be it be like a maybe a Ohio State? SEC champion, Michigan, and then, you know, either an ACC or between the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12, you know, if there's a team that really stands out, like a Clemson or an Oklahoma, or I don't know if Oklahoma's going to be any good this year, but, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. So, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'll still say Rose Bowl, though. I think it's 11-1. and one. I think they end up in the Rose Bowl against uh, Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think – if you if you are hoping for Michigan to somehow lose to Ohio State and make the playoff, what you need, the scenario you need is probably ACC, Big 12, Pac-12. None of them have one loss champions. Like, you need all of them to be flawed. And I think it's actually decently possible. It, if I'm not mistaken, it, it technically happened last year, didn't it? But there was an undefeated Cincinnati. Uh, so, and, and Notre Dame – Obviously, was I think they were a one-loss team last season, so it's a, it, it's possible. But I think you, you're counting on like five different things to happen. So I think for now, I'm going to say the Rose Bowl. I'm going to say I, I, I like Utah making it to the Rose Bowl again. I, I I don't know if I love them as a playoff contender. I feel like well, I want to see how they do at Florida, I guess. But I think they could win the Pac-12. I think they're they're probably the most complete Pac-12 team. I know USC's got the uh, you know, the, the headline stars, but I think, I think Utah's a little bit more complete of a team. So I'm going to say Michigan versus Utah in the Rose Bowl. And I guess we'll see how it goes. We both said 11 and one, but, but they play the games for a reason. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to the prediction special. Uh, we'll have more on these predictions along with other season preview content over at the Michigan insider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. We'll see you next time.